Sam Rossiano and Michael Lucas. Which one do you prefer? I'll tell you which one you prefer. The one I prefer. This is Emsolation. The night before my wedding, I walked in and there was Em and Adrian. What was going on? I am openly whoring stuff and you guys will applaud it. There are these weird parallels at times with you and Trump. There's a whore in the house. You're in Emsolation. So, Chris, um, we all know you're circumcised. Tell us more. Hello, darlings. Welcome to Emsolation. Hey, uh, yesterday I had a really bad... Anxiety attack. Panic attack. (laughs) Why am I laughing? Um, Because I decided I was going to talk about today because it's such an isolating thing when your anxiety is at fever pitch. And I know a lot of you guys, I think like attracts like. I think there's a lot of anxious people that follow me. Um, And you can be a person who just experiences anxiety every now and then. doesn't mean that you have anxiety. I am someone that has been diagnosed with and has that certain mental health affliction. And – but, yeah, I think sometimes definitely it's overdiagnosed and, and, and not everyone gets it as acutely as I do. I certainly hope you don't. And it's a strange thing. Last night I did a thing on my Instagram, which you need to go and I'll save it as a highlight. I asked people to let me know their most traumatic, embarrassing, humiliating experience in high school. And I shared their stories anonymously in my stories. And so far it's been viewed 100,000 times in my stories. It's the most my stories have ever been viewed. And it's hysterical and cathartic. And I, I decided I needed something to kind of jolt myself out of the anxious state I was in. And I decided to ask other people about their stories of, you know, humiliation, <laughs> high school humiliation. Because I always find when you share stories of, you know, at the time you thought it was the worst thing that could happen to you and then – other people go, oh, my God, me too. Instantly the load is lighter and that's kind of why I do my stand-up too. I want people to walk out feeling a little bit lighter. That's why I'm so open with the things that happen to me because I feel so isolated when those things are happening to me. So first of all, please go and look at the stories. There's a highlight there of a woman who accidentally sent her asshole. She was taking pictures of her anus to send to a doctor um, and it was linked up to her child's iPad account and the teacher saw her weeping anus. The story is hilarious. But I guess that's the whole point of what I do is sharing stories to help people understand themselves. And I, and I wanted to talk about, and it also helps me, I wanted to talk about how my anxiety actually manifests itself. And I know where my anxiety came from. Um, it's kind of been this strong rumour about who the new Today FM Breakfast show is going to be and it's starting – and whenever they write about – I'm already getting heart palpitations talking about it. Hang on. And whenever people mention Today FM Breakfast, which is Sydney Breakfast Radio, if you don't know, I did that for two years. Although if you don't know, where have you been? And it was hugely traumatic experience for many reasons. Some of I'm still dealing with right now. Anytime that show gets mentioned, anytime the breakfast slot gets mentioned, my name will inevitably hit the press again. And I knew that was coming and it hung over me like a dark cloud I still feel a great sense of loss and shame and I was unfairly treated about that time. I also made a lot of mistakes. I was badly behaved. So there's a whole lot of heavy shit that hangs off that time. And all weekend I felt really uneasy. I don't read any of the articles but I just know that there are people – well, many people send them to me. Here's a note. If you read about me in the press and it's not great, don't tell me. (laughs) I don't want to know. 
And then, yeah, sure enough, yesterday I was doing the food shopping and I felt like I couldn't breathe. And the, the way in which my anxiety comes is really strange. Well, not strange, but I maybe I, I guess I want to let you know of my experience and maybe you'll be like, oh, my God, I thought I was the only one. So I, first of all, feel super isolated from the world. I feel like everyone's against me, like everyone's looking for the worst in me. I become my own little private victim. So that's when my anxiety starts to kind of come. Then I get like this urge to be impulsive. I know my anxiety is starting to rise when I like want to cut my hair off. I want to get a tattoo. I want to go shopping online. I have such strong urge to be impulsive. Like it's an addiction. I have an addiction to being impulsive, 100%. And I know that that is linked to my anxiety. I also have two modes. I'm either really zoned out and withdrawn or I'm hypo and in your face. And, and that's how it can manifest. And this has got me in trouble a lot, especially at like my early days of my husband's family gatherings. I was really anxious to go to them because obviously we got together very quickly, had a baby very quickly, and I, I didn't think that they liked me. And so we would go to his family Christmas gatherings and I would sit in the corner just trying to breathe. And that was kind of used to come off as me isolating myself from the family and not wanting to partake in things. But it was actually, I learned many years later, my anxiety. But at the time I didn't know, I just knew – I felt really nauseous. I couldn't look anyone in the eye and I and I was just struggling to stay upright. And I now know what that was, but at the time, it's got nice to fight about all the time and I'd be like, I just, I don't want to say the wrong thing because, you know, he would see me with other people and I'd be really gregarious, obviously. So, yeah, the two M's when I'm anxious are either zoned out and withdrawn or like loud and hypo. I also get guilt. I feel guilt when I'm anxious about things that have happened years ago. I'm racked with it. I like feel the need to contact people. I feel the need to talk about it incessantly. Like I, the guilt, it's just like all consuming. And I also become like, you know, in Twilight where Bella becomes a vampire and she becomes hyper aware of all the sounds and smells and, and tones. That's how I get when I'm anxious. <laughs> I become a vampire guys. I'm an anxiety vampire. So there are all the things that happened to me, the isolation, the impulsiveness, the nausea, the zoning out or the hypo, the guilt and the hyper-awareness, the hyper-vigilance. So that's what happens to me. And sometimes I just, I mean, and I say to Scott, my husband, sometimes I just have to work so hard to be like even. It's just this constant battle to be, you know, just not over or underreacting. I do both. And so much of that anxiety has played a role in my difficulties in the workplace, in my difficulties in friendships, in my difficulties in relationships. And I'm only now just understanding, even just saying it out loud to you guys in a mic, how deep the river, you know, how, how deep that has, has run into kind of affecting how I view myself and how I'm unable to figure out who I am because the anxiety has made me so many different people. So anyway, I kind of vowed to myself yesterday I was doing my breathing exercises and I don't have an answer yet and I'm, I'm definitely, I'm going to start, I've been out of therapy for the last probably eight months and I'm definitely going to go back in because I've noticed works, obviously work's starting to pick up again, everything's opening up again and I'm starting to feel that surge of adrenaline happening to me all the time now and avoiding answering emails and avoiding looking at text messages and I'm starting to go down the route that I used to go down when I felt overwhelmed by work and life. So um, 
Yes, I'm going to be doing that. But I did vow yesterday when I, I was doing the breathing exercises that I would talk to you guys about it today because if just one of you is listening to this going, oh, my God, Em, <laughs> yes, then that's good. Then it's worth it. All right. Well, you're about to hear me in a very manic state. <laughs> Michael and I talk about Miley Cyrus and Dua Lipa, Barack Obama and Oprah Winfrey, uh, the John Farnham musical that I want to star as John Farnham in. We talk about Rudy Giuliani and the running hair mascara we talk about the article that was written about us in The Age. It's like I'm just a bit hypo. <laughs> but I guess the one thing to say about Michael Lucas is that he is my safe space, which is, you know, the large part of our friendship is that we provide each other with a safe place to land and I cherish that very much. And I'm glad you guys get to be a part of it. Oh my God, I'm so teary. I'm so teary having just spoken about all that stuff. <laughs> Also, um, thank you to everyone who listened to my interview with Broden on Friday from Arnie Donna. I got a lot of great feedback saying that our stories have helped you figure out some stuff, which is always great. All right, I'm going to go. God, I'm just a mess. Look, you're just getting me as me today. And the fact that you're choosing to be here still is um, I'm very grateful. I'm going to go before I full-blown snot cry into the, my microphone at the start of this comedy podcast. <laughs> oh my God. All right, play the music. M. Rossiano and Michael Lucas. This is M. Salation. Okay, we have no real plan today. Believe it or not, other days we do have a plan. <laughs> you um, never know it to listen to us. Oh, we do. No, we do. No, we I do. Just, oh, oh, let's just clarify. M. has a plan. She knows what she's doing. I know. There's this idea that I'm an agent of chaos, but I'm in fact quite a control freak. <laughs> yeah, you both somehow simultaneously. <laughs> Well, I you you want to have the plan that you can throw away. Anyone yes. who's been to any one of your stand-up shows knows <laughs> that there is a plan and the oh, plan yes. is normally sitting scrunched on a bit of butcher paper yes. somewhere <laughs> and every once in a while you refer to the fact that you haven't been on it for about 45 minutes. <laughs> That's right. The, the confidence, the, to have the confidence to be an agent of chaos, I have to have the scaffolding in place to time myself too. So I know that I'm not going to float off into outer space like those people in Superman when they're in the glass box. That's exactly what it's like. Yes. <laughs> because if I don't have a plan in place, and my shows are eight months worth of planning for me to throw away on the opening night, by the way. You do also look like that woman in Superman, by the way. At times your style yeah. has really matched up with her. In fact, I kind of want to see you in that full suit with the low-cut top and the massive black hooker boots. Yes. Actually, that could be a really good Halloween <gasps> for us. For all of it. Yeah, okay. Yes. All right, put that in the memory bank. The first thing I want to talk about is Dua Lipa and Miley Cyrus. Of um, course. They've got a new song out together called Prisoner, which is just let's get physical and she's a man-eater combined, if we're being honest. It's such a familiar song, but I'm okay with that. Prisoner, prisoner, you think you've no, heard it like, before um, when you listen to it. I'm such a No, you have. I'm such a prisoner, prisoner, let's yeah. get physical. And there's um, the Dua Lipa beat is, um, oh, here she comes. Like it's, oh, here. Like it is just literally those two songs smooshed together. I already have an issue with people thinking Miley Cyrus wrote Blondie songs when it was the <laughs> other way around. What? When she covered Heart of Glass, my oh, daughter came down, cover. Odette, and said, Oh, have you heard Miley's new song, Heart of Glass? I said, it's a cover. I 
I remember vividly, vividly, with my mother playing the Fuji's Killing Me Softly and my mum having that exact <laughs> reaction you had. And Roberta going Flack. and Roberta Flack and putting yeah. it on and hearing this real oh, 70s lounge music, music version. Actually, yeah. I did know that that was a cover, but I she was very, very my keen. Dad, yes. Yeah, my, my dad loved Roberta Flack, so I knew that one. But yeah, I got really I got really upset. Then I made them go and look at Debbie Harry. The, like I made her go and look at Blondie. The whole phenomenon, how this was a whole movement. Like I, I was really cross about it. What's the most shocking cover? Did you have anything that you didn't realize a cover was a cover, and then you Horses. grew up a bit more? Horses, Daryl Braithwaite. I didn't know that was a cover. <gasps> God, you just revealed it to me. What? Dan did not write that. No, Ricky Lee. Oh my God. Um, what's her name? Ricky Lee. Cool uh, She's too young. No. She's very talented, <laughs> no. but I think she's too young. No, the originals. Uh, oh, I know. Yeah. Ricky right. Lee Jones. Ricky Lee Jones originally wrote horses. Uh, yeah. No, that's a cover. That's the way it's gonna be, little darling. We'll be riding on the horse. So glad I knew that and you didn't. Oh my god, Do that you, is boring. Okay, well, I reckon the most shocking one, and it's not—it's more of an adaptation than a cover, but not really. Madonna, Ray of Light. Is based on a '70s song called Sephirin. And if you listen to it, it's got a really, really similar sort of chorus. It's like a 70s hippie vibe sort of a thing It's happening. very Kate Bush, actually, when I think about it. And I feel like I've just got more. The Miley and Dua song, it's good, it's fine, it's catchy, it's a bop. It's the film They sound clip. good together. Yeah, there are two favourites. There yeah, are two young favourites at the moment. They're great. They're great. Go, go for gold, girls. Save pop. Mm. It's a film clip. I just... It's so... First of all, they've ripped it off. Miley's been accused of ripping it off, so I want to first of all say someone's already done the film clip. Um, in the film clip... There's a perspective of through teeth when they finally get to the... So, basically, they're getting ready to go to a gig. They're in a tour bus. They spill a lot of cherry juice all over each other, which kind of looks like And we come like into blood. it via the disembodied mouth a la Rocky Horror. I mean, that's yeah. a key Rocky Horror reference. But there was a film clip made that is exactly the same where there's two girls rocking out on stage with a view of a mouth earlier this year. And that band has come out and said, Hey, uh, Miley... You copied our video. And I went and watched it. The, the band is called Dream Wife. Mm. And they've come out and said, oh, someone's on a cosplay of our film clip. It happens to be Miley Cyrus and Dua Lipa. Oh, that's annoying. Although, to, in Miley's defence, probably a director came and said, this is how I'm seeing it. And you wouldn't think to check every video clip that had been made. You probably would have just... I would. You know, unless she... unless it, I mean, who knows? She could have directly ripped it off. But I would say more likely someone has said to her, I've got this great idea. And she thought, yeah, cool. Terrific. I would Google the words of the idea if I was Miley Cyrus. 100%. 100%. She's already flying so close to the wind with the music being direct rip-offs. I that's think. why when we say that you're the control freak, I think that's why That's why <laughs> you and Miley would have had different careers. If you're in Miley's, maybe you would cut loose with the foam finger, <laughs> but you would have had a plan before that. Dude, I had a giant blow up penis. I was straddling things before Miley was. Oh, that was you're very similar. We've written – I could write a PhD on it. I anyway. know, I know. But I feel like – I just think it's so unnecessary. Is it the blood? It's not blood, though. It's cherry juice. It's the whole... Well, f- Do you need to get your doorbell? I, uh, Adrian's <laughs> not here. I'm going, I, I might as well because I think they're going to keep ringing. Can I race down? Yeah, I don't know yeah, what else yeah. to do. I'll, uh, I'll just be back. press stop on the garage. No, no, no. no I'm going to keep recording. One sec. Oh, great. Okay. 
okay, well, he's just going to go, so I'll just sit here and chat. Yeah, so basically the film clip is, and I'll fill you in when Michael's answering the door. They're kind of, it's Stuart and Miley dresses like 80s punk chicks. Miley's got the full Malay going. Stuart's got a kind of black, blunt, long bob. Fishnets pulled up to their tits, you know, like looking really hot and sexual. And then they're like licking each other in this kind of, I don't know, faux lesbianic display, although Miley is bi. I don't know what Stuart's status is. And, I, and I'm, that's fine, like great, but it just feels so done and it feels so unoriginal. And I just think I want more from the two reigning princesses of pop. I want conceptualism. I want strong feminist statements. And I just don't, Michael's going to be spewing, he's missing all this. And I just don't feel like we've achieved that in the back of a seedy bus. And I just think that, they could have gone a little bit more conceptual. Here he comes. Sorry. I've just explained to everyone why you were gone, my issue with the film clip. <laughs> well, I'll have to wait. You'll have to wait to hear it. No, it's the things oh, no. I've already Okay. Yeah, why? Because blood. No, just because I wanted more. These two are pretty much at the forefront of pop at the moment. They're huge names. They've had a string of hits. They're high profile. I wanted Lady Gaga and Beyonce telephone level. Do you know what I mean? You've been a very bad girl. A very, very bad, bad girl, Gaga. I know, I know. And also the, the most obvious recent example is Ariana and Gaga. Oh, Gaga. And they served it up. I mean, they Seen really... It, semen on your face. They had semen on your face. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I just, I just watched it and I, like, I, know it's, I don't know if it's faux lesbianism. They're, they're trying to be shocking with that. It's like, guys, we're cool. Lesbians, like... Being gay is not shocking anymore. Like, can we move on from that? I don't know. It just felt really no, contrived. I Miley. I mean, she is a woman. Let's keep in mind that she burst to icon status by firstly doing the foam finger and then a week afterwards releasing her naked on a wrecking ball. So she's got to keep upping it. No, every she time. doesn't. And also, I believe, I don't think there's any kind of role playing with her. I believe that Miley sticks oh, her yeah. tongue everywhere she implies she sticks her tongue. <laughs> she delivers. No, I, and she's like openly bisexual, and that's cool. But, I mean, she's 27. I feel like it's time for her to grow up. (laughs) I don't know. I just feel like every time Madonna reinvents, she still maintains the core structure that, you know, the heart of Madonna. You still, you know, and even Beyonce reinvents. Every time that, that those big names, the big divas come out, they've got their theme. You know, they've sat down with their gaze and gone, okay, who are we this time? And then there's a whole rollout of merch and themes and ideas and songs and collabs. This just feels like... It does feel a long way away from the Miley that was sitting on the sand in the Malibu film clip looking all wistful and sweet. Ma, that was only last year, wasn't it? <laughs> Weren't we in Malibu? It feels like a decade ago, but yeah, probably was. She was in a beautiful, she was in a white knit jumper running along the beach with natural hair, barefoot with the horses. It was actually kind of like the Daryl Blaythwaite horses film clip. Look, I'm I'm fine with it. I'm I'm thinking when she was drowning herself in the cherry juice, I thought she, I mean, that is such an unsubtle nod to her lesbian fan base and I'm sure that many of them appreciated it. Going down on a woman who's got her period, is that what you're saying? (laughs) Well, I mean, no, cherry. I mean, the whole cherry Oh, cherry, cherry thing. fishing. Cherry, yeah. cherry, yeah. yeah. It's always Look. a bit of a thing. Katy Perry once sang the cherry chapstick. We all know where the cherries are. I didn't know. I legitimately thought when Katy Perry sung that, I like the taste of her cherry chapstick, I legitimately thought she meant her lip gloss flavour. 
I did oh, not well, know. <laughs> it's a double. <laughs> I didn't know. Did you you, know you can double? interpret I, that so I, you can sing it with your kids. Again, showing my extreme naivete when it comes to double meanings of song lyrics. Mm. I just want it out there. I'm, I'm fine with it. They both look hot. They're both like top of their games. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not trying to be like. <sighs> I just love how you're putting it out. You need to put out a press release when Miley <laughs> releases a single. We cross live now to Amelia Rossiano for her official <laughs> response. No, I'm not trying to be Marilla from Anne of Green Gables or anything. But because I'm so much more. I don't more even. Ma- you're going to need to really break down what. Who, I've forgotten that character. Which one Marilla. is she? <gasps> I don't think we can be friends anymore. I just feel Hang like. On, no, I'll know it. But which one is she? She's what the is? adoptive mother, Marilla and Matthew. Oh, Marilla. Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. The yeah, staunch, yeah. hardline, but ultimately loving mother figure no, of Anne. You're no Marilla. You're, maybe you're a Miss Hannigan, but you're not a Marilla. I'm definitely Miss Hannigan. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There's just something about this film clip. I watched it and went, oh, yeah, I've seen it before. I feel I, I'm with you. I don't have any problem with the cherry juice or, or, or the no, referencing no, of blood or anything, but no. I am with you on it could have been an extravaganza. The only thing that I would counter that is is sort of saying oh, maybe maybe it was the difficulties of COVID, although there's no excuse because WAP was made in COVID times and that was an absolute fantasia. Yeah. And you know what else was made in COVID times that was incredible? Oprah interviewing Barack. I went to say Iraq, <laughs> Iraq Obama. <laughs> Don't say that. God, you'll start another conspiracy theory. I know. Oprah interviewing Barack Obama in what looked like the same room. Now, this Miley and Dua needed to talk to Oprah's people about the technology she used. He was in Washington. She was in Santa Barbara at her house. Yeah, which she hasn't left except to get a mammogram. Exactly. And she does an interview with Barack Obama about his uh, autobiography that took four years to write, A Promised Land. And he's still only written half. It's only volume one. (laughs) We haven't even got onto the second term of his what presidency. What would your either. wanky, schmaltzy presidential like autobiography be called? Because they always got the worst titles. A promised land. What would you call yours? Oh God, I've never thought about it. Mm, mine would be something like Scorched Earth. <laughs> <laughs> it really would be. And Rossiano, Scorched Earth. <laughs> I saw the Deltas. Oh yes, new tour. Yes, is going to be called. I really had to. I almost crashed my car when I saw it because I just needed to. <laughs> I was frowning so much trying to unpack it. I think it's called Bridge Over Troubled Dreams. Yes, she's outdelted herself. What? She has outdelted herself. <laughs> she really has. But also, obviously, there's the Simon and Garfunkel song, yes. and then there's the Boulevard of Broken Dreams. It was just. It was like a mashup of all these different songs put through a Delta filter. Tina Arena's called her tour Enchanté. I, oh, I support that 100%. Oh, I love that. I spoke to her last week and I said, God, I love it. It's it's perfect and pretentious but diva-ish. It's like all the right things. Mine would be some sort of camp like Wizard of Oz reference, something to do with End of the Yellow Brick Road or the something Emerald like that. The Emerald City. <laughs> <laughs> the Towers the Emerald City. <laughs> <laughs> Worst names. I, I, I hate that promised land. Shut up, Barack. But I do love him. I think it's all right. It's the worst. You know it is. Stop it. Don't be blinded by our love for him. We've got to remain objective or we've got nothing. Like, what have we got? I genuinely don't mind it because I feel, well, my sense of it is because he was, more than most presidents, came in with so much promise and hype and, and the story of his presidency was how do you possibly live up to that campaign and to the sense of promise that you bought. So I, that, in that sense, a promised land, I, I, I think it's fine. God. It's not. Really do, a really nice picture of him on the front too. Oh, yeah. They've really done well with that. He doesn't take a bad picture. He always. He doesn't. Good. And I have to say that this this whole thing 
And his whole tour has made me realise, especially mm. when they show footage of the time, that the, just the revelation of having a truly hot president. <laughs> <laughs> At least like we're Bill not Clinton being... had his moments. Okay. No, he didn't. He was. Ne- I never got that. I never understood why people thought Bill Clinton was attractive. Not even when he was playing his saxophone in 1991? Nah. Ew. No, especially then. I was like 11. No. He was a bit ruddy-faced, sure. Yeah, and the bulbous whiskey nose. He never appealed to me. But I do remember growing up when everyone used to say JFK was oh, a yeah. really attractive president. And But with Obama, like, you go back and you have a look at him in 2008. He was so boyish and, and mm. uh, he looked amazing. He did look amazing. Still does. Yeah, he does look good. Not that that's important. Not that we want to reduce the presidency to how they look. <laughs> I think we've just hit the point in this podcast that <laughs> there's no point in us making these disclaimers. We have to. There has to be some shred of self-awareness. Like yeah. that's the beauty of this podcast is that, yes, we go to the worst, shallowest spots, but we acknowledge it and we fix it. <laughs> The saving grace is we know we're there. 100%. And that's half the battle is admitting the problem. Are we going to address the problem? No. Are we going to make it worse? Yes. So him and Oprah sit together, what it seemingly looks like the same room, but totally different studios. I don't understand how they've done it. At one point, they're playing pretend footsies. This is pretty cool technology you got here. We're playing footsies. What I did notice about watching this interview, and you can watch it on Apple TV, he was very cautious about the things he said. Like you could see a thousand cogs turning in his brain when he was speaking about the current presidency. And I mm. found that the most interesting when he's like, and it was almost a pains to say, while I acknowledge Joe and Kamala aren't perfect, they will at least respect the wheels of democracy, that the, the systems that are in place that keep us on the straight and narrow. At least we have people who care in there now. Like he didn't say, I love them and I agree with everything they do. And he didn't mm. kind of, shit directly on Donald Trump. He did say we do have a president that lies. But I just noticed even now he's quite diplomatic. Because if it were me, I'd be like, this fucking cunt. I mean, I did all that work for eight years and he comes in and fucks it all up. That's how I would be post-presidency. He's very zen about all that sort of stuff. I mean, I've I've obviously gone beyond the Oprah interview to watch pretty much every interview he's done. It's basically, <laughs> I basically spent this weekend. Uh, another good one is the Terry Gross Fresh Air podcast one. Cause she asks, she spends a lot of time going, it must've been so frustrating. How yeah. did you handle it? Watching Trump. And you know, he just does sort of talk sagely about, mm. you know, the arc of history, things go back and things go forward. And, and he did, he did, he put it in a really good way in that he was sort of saying, you know, if you think about the end of slavery, massive leap. But then, of course, we had Jim Crow, we had all these setbacks and everything, but you would still say the end of slavery was a great bit of progress that was still glad it happened. So, And then his point was, even if I put in things that were stripped apart, it was still great that we had that moment where we got there and it will be easier for people to come and, you know, rebuild yeah. again. And a lot of it held, like the health, they, they still, th- touch wood, have not gotten rid of the Affordable, Affordable Care, Care Act. And he said he thinks that will maintain the rage. But it's a great interview and it's just the technology, first of all, is what got me. I mean, Barack even said, why are we doing it in a living room? Why aren't we doing it from Mars? We should have done this in outer space. We could have both been sitting on, like, Neptune in a bubble. You could literally have picked any background, why are we sitting by a fire? (laughs) But I also don't understand why. I mean, I get she doesn't want to leave her home, but at various points people come and they show the people rushing in to, like, fix the fire and touch up her makeup and stuff. So she's got people around her there. Maybe she just... Maybe I would she say just they live there. Yeah, yeah right. I would say there's a whole kind of another wing full of her people who are like tested every 
48 hours. They've done a month-long quarantine and they can never leave the grounds. Yeah, their blood's been purified. Everyone's genetically screened, you know, the whole thing. Like there's contact tracing done hourly on the people. Where have you been? Where'd you go? Toilet. Okay, did you touch anything? No, great. Okay, you can go in and touch your face now. Like I just feel like that whole ship is sealed up there in Santa Barbara on the ranch. Yeah. And they're the people allowed around her. I know, what a life. The other interview that I would really recommend is he did a long Jimmy Kimmel interview and he was really loose with that. Like Jimmy Kimmel said, did you make your book 700 pages to ensure that Donald Trump would never read it? And then he said something like, I wouldn't have had to make it 700 pages to ensure that. (laughs) And then Jimmy Kimmel, this really shocked me. Jimmy Kimmel said when Osama bin Laden was killed and outside the White House, everyone was chanting USA, USA, USA. Did you make love to Michelle that night? Can you believe he asked that? I was shocked. On the night you did kill bin Laden, did you and Michelle make love? Did did she say she was going to answer that? Yes. (laughs) When I read the book and you were talking about hearing people outside the White House chanting USA, 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 I had an image in my head. I did. Uh, I suspect that she was asleep. Because uh, the truth of the matter is, most of the time, by the time I was done working, uh, she'd be snoozing. Uh, right. So okay. Michelle goes to bed about 9 o'clock. <laughs> you don't have to make excuses. Um, it's okay. I experienced the same thing. It's not an excuse. It's a, a lament. He asked that. Wow. Having sex after someone dies is dark. Weird, I know. <laughs> it's really, really weird. And and you do often forget that the American attitude to all that sort of stuff is different to ours. Like, yes. I don't know if you've ever went, watched the newsroom series in the episode where they killed Osama bin Laden yes, and it's treated yes. like, like, I think in Australia we would have the attitude of, okay, maybe it's good that that threat's gone, but it's never good when someone's killed and this is a grave, sombre sort of moment. But they treat it sort of triumphantly. So, yeah, in Jimmy Kimmel's mind, and he's a pretty progressive person. Yeah. They're still fine to ask the president. It's a weird thing. I think when someone like that dies in this country, it's more – I'm also sad for all the people that person took down, like all the deaths because of that person. Yeah. There should be no joy around it. It's a time to reflect on the bereaved people. Yeah. Sure. But, um, yeah, so well worth watching. While we're in America, I do want to briefly touch on Rudy Giuliani. Um, That man is a hot shit show. Uh, Uh, I'm sensing that you've done a 3 a.m. deep dive. I've done a very big deep dive. Obviously, obviously we got sent. I got sent the picture of his um, hair mascara running, I think, about 500 times over about three days. Everyone, I'm glad that my brand association with Rudy Giuliani's hair mascara running down his face. And that's what it was, gang. It yeah. was you, when you get grey sideburns, you buy, you buy it from Coles. My mother in law uses it on her roots when she can't get to the hairdresser. You just kind of put the hair mascara on the bits that are grey and you're right for the day. But it's not waterproof, just washes out with shampoo. So Rudy was sweating bullets under the lights, under the 40 minute press conference, which he's getting paid $20,000 a day, by the way, at the moment to be Trump's lead counsel on this bogus election fraud campaign that they're doing 20 grand a day. He's making. Really? Yeah. So bitch well, has got to earn it. burning your legacy, so I'd want a fair <laughs> bit of money. <laughs> and he's 78 years old, Rudy. So, mm. you know, he's not getting any younger. And I did – he's had a hell of a year. So we've obviously had the um, Borat film stuff. Where and truly you feel like it's never going to get more embarrassing than this. It yeah. can't. And then and, flash and then forward four to seasons the- landscaping presser between the mortuary and the sex shop. Then yeah. we had the hair dye. His son now has COVID in the same day that Donald Jr. also got diagnosed with COVID. What a shit show. But what I just – I wanted to understand his main – like. 
I, I kept avoiding trying to find out what his main argument was. And when I read it, I just want to I, I just want to let you know what he's saying. Okay. He is claiming that Joe Biden operatives working with huge democratic machines that are also working with corrupt judges are all in cahoots with a communist voting software company somewhere overseas conspiring to reverse the early leads that Trump held on election night in Pennsylvania, Michigan and Georgia. That is his legal defence. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Can I just say, though, in some ways, I mean, he's so batshit and he really is like a Batman villain. From And I mean not even from the contemporary films. He's like no. a Batman villain from the 60s TV series. But also, in some ways, thank God that he's – it's such a shit show and he's such a joke and he can't and he can't even get his hair dye sitting straight or book the press conferences at the right place because one day someone's going to come along that is trying to do all this stuff but is really smart and together. Well, and we're going to be in trouble then. Oh, God. You could be wrong there because oh. I know. Look, I just want to let people know Trump had an early lead on election night. In case you don't know, in case this has passed you by, because he encouraged his people to vote on election day because he didn't give a shit about coronavirus. And not mail-in votes. Okay, so the votes that get counted first are the ones that are cast on election day. Joe Biden encouraged all Democrats to mail in their ballots because of corona. So those votes get counted afterwards. So, of course, the person who told their people to vote on election day will have an early lead because all those votes are being counted on the day. It's maths. It's not a conspiracy theory. Mm. This is me saying that too, guys. So he then said that he had evidence to overturn the election, to which the journalist said, oh, okay, can you give it to us? And he's like, no, 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 I can never tell anyone because I don't want to put witnesses' lives at stake. (laughs) (laughs) But then I'm like, are they this stupid? But maybe they're not, Michael, because this whole thing – is that they're trying to delay the official certifications happening in the contested states, right? They're trying to boof, draw that out yeah. because they're trying to whip up the base, the MAGA troops. They want to froth them up who will then put pressure on the Republicans and the Electoral College to go against what the voters in their state wanted. The, the red states are turned blue. So yeah. there is method to the madness. Don't count them out until they're out is what I'm saying. I, I reckon there's an awareness that this probably, you know, won't come off, but... I think the thing is, if he kicks up so much mm. shit about all of this and gets people so angry, then I reckon it'll put everyone in a position of when they when he's finally gone and when he's out, he should be facing a whole lot of criminal trials. But he's thinking if he gets people really rolled up, then mm. Biden will think we can't risk putting him under trial. It's just going to tear the country apart. So the more shit he kicks up now and the more yeah. angry he makes his supporters, yep. the more likely it is that everyone's like, just let's let him fade into the background. <laughs> just, let him, just let him go to his little yeah. resort in Florida or yeah. whatever. And so we can forget about him. So either way, it's going to, even if he loses, which he will, this initial, I I predict, Mm. the Enchanted Seahorse of Hope predicts that it's not going to make any difference to the election outcome at all. But what it will do is fire up his supporters so that no one feels game to put Trump on a criminal trial. I guess. But he also referred to My Cousin Vinny as his favourite law movie. So in the press conference. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, it is a good movie. Did you all watch My Cousin Vinny? You know the movie? It's one of my favourite uh, law movies because he comes from Brooklyn. If you want to be a respectable lawyer, there's only one movie to look to, and that Aaron is Brockovich. Legally Blonde. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> Who's They're called Kappa? Boobs, Ed. <laughs> They're called Boobs, Ed. Before you go, I do want to talk about the John Farnham musical. You're the voice trying to understand it. 
this uh, it stirred in so many feelings. I mean, obviously, this is the, uh, we just should have it on. <laughs> this is the first time that we've mentioned it. And I'm sure this is going to become a theme that may sustain for years. I just want to say straight away, it invokes anxiety in me. Like, oh, oh absolutely. I would it's kind of similar it. to the feeling that I had when it's like Madonna's directing her biopic. It's kind of like you're yeah. going, I should want this, but I'm so terrified. Well, not only that, I, sh- I should want this, I'm so terrified. Then I go through, which you probably do because you're a scriptwriter, you're a writer, you're a producer. I want to be a part of making it because no one's yeah. closer to this than me. No, no one, one knows what it should be more than I do. <laughs> and then because I'm also a performer, I'm like, well, I need to play John. Like, I'm the, I'm the <laughs> obvious candidate, this Italian woman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this who is the absolute polar opposite to John Farnham, I mean, aesthetically. I, I would say even vocally, it's not like your voices have a similar quality, really. They certainly do. How dare you? <laughs> do they? <laughs> I learned to sing listening to him and Stevie Wonder, so I have the voice of, no, I have John Farnham's range, exactly. So it's yeah, the, it's the right, male okay. tenor, high tenor range, which is not great for a female. I'm a female alto. Well, I guess I'm probably a female tenor. But, no, I mean, I could I could do it. I mean, I could learn to sing like him. Oh, look, I look a lot like Jilly. I'd play his wife. <laughs> I do look like young Gillian Farnham. I do. I yeah. Do. I wonder if Olivia will be a character in this. No. Uh, unless they – no, that's just Christmas albums. Be. No, it'll be like – uh, it'll be. It's going to be a, a theatre show, which uh, which makes me more happy because I feel that's safer than some tel- television show with bad wigs. Like, I think I'm glad it's going to be a musical. I'm also really intrigued by like what is the hidden drama in his life? Like, I mean, so you know, much. Oh my there, god! What? What? What's the big ticket things? Oh. With Tina Turner, it's obvious, and then with Carol King, it's obvious. Well, early days, of course, you know, he was like a plumber's apprentice, like yeah. living out in the burbs in Victoria. Parents were two pound poms, and um, like he didn't, he didn't really, you know, he wasn't really a muso. He just liked singing, and then all of a sudden, he's this friggin' heartthrob singing music he actually hated. Like Sadie is his most hated song. It's like, and he hated being called Johnny. It's like, don't call me Johnny, but they bloody did. And he faced bad health battles. He's he's had a lot of drama, a lot of drama. Okay, look at you. You're ready to write. I could this. plot it, mate. I could plot it. I could plot it. I could sing it. I could star in it. I could produce it. I could play all the characters. <laughs> the tricky thing, the thing that I love about it is, I'm going to presume they're going to take all of his songs and try and like put them into his personal life story. There isn't. They can't because honestly, all those songs weren't. He didn't. He's not a songwriter. No, exactly. Like, where are you going to get in touch of paradise? I suppose they could go the other way and it's just, you know, it's just like they tell the story of his life and then he occasionally get bits in concert where... Maybe. But do you know the story of You're the Voice? It was like a last minute, it was fished out of a barrel of demo tapes. They literally bought in a garbage bin full of demo tapes and Mm. they'd they'd spent the day kind of playing, playing, they didn't find anything. And so one of the guys he was with just kind of went, oh, hang on, let's just go one more. And he stuck his hand right down the bottom and fished it around like it was a lucky dip. Pulled out the cassette tape, the demo of You're the Voice, put it in. That's it. That's how it happened. Like, Mm. and there's no doubt Farnham infuses that natural charisma and and he's such a great performer. Like, you feel the lyrics when he sings them. He's totally in the moment when he sings. And that's why people love John. He's not, he would be the first one to say, his musicianship, he's an incredible vocalist. He's pitch perfect. He can fucking interpret anything. He can interpret the phone book, Right. But he's not a great, he's not one of Australia's greatest composers or you know no. um, songwriters, and he's totally cool with that. He wants to fish trout and he wants to sing, and I respect that. I want what I want is the M. Rossiano one woman show, the life of John Farnham. 
I want you to come out and basically do it like drunk history, but you sing too. I really want to do that so bad. And I have been dreaming about approaching his management. I want my management to approach his management. I'm so scared of the rejection. And just go, can we just do a one night only, we sell out Rod Lather Arena, which we would, Am mm. interviews John, he sings, maybe she's allowed to sing a little bit, but that's not as important. And it's like, none of this is your life, but just like a true fan and so many people our age are fans because it was like, you know, it was peak when music was starting to really affect who we were. Mm. Someone who's a true fan and grew up with his music sitting down and teasing it because he's such a great, he should have been a stand-up comic. That was my, his banter is A+. plus. He's so funny. So I just think me and him on a stage with the whole Chong Lim Orchestra, you know, Lindsay's there, I'll allow Lisa Edwards to come even though she deserted him for a solo career, whatever. Um, <laughs> Vanetta, like – we'll so let Gary generous of you. Yeah. But, How's uh, Vanetta her- going? Uh, I haven't actually heard much about Vanetta Field to be honest. Lindsay's still out and about. Okay. But, I mean, Hirschfeld is not there anymore, obviously, because Chong Lim's in. So, Chong will be there. Brett's on uh, guitar. We've got Angus on drums. Like, the whole gang will be back together. And just me and him on stage with like, you know, 15,000 people in the audience. Can you imagine? Oh, it sounds superb. Mate, one night, Whispering M. (laughs) Whispering M. (laughs) I'd do it for, I mean, I certainly hope the poster would be you recreating the album liner images, including the bit where it doesn't, she like slap him. Yes. Yeah, yeah, inside the cover. Yes, and she's got long red nails. I thought they were the most glamorous hands I'd ever seen. I just love him so much and I just want to sing with him so badly. I can just see the unfortunate, like, you go on on time, but unfortunately it, just, it would take Ms. Raziano seven minutes to compose herself. We're hoping that the performance will commence soon. Do you know that I would just cry? He's genuinely she one of the best. <laughs> she's crying. It appears she has lactated, which is very strange. <laughs> Considering she has not breastfed for many years. I'm crying now. I just, if anyone listening now has any power in that, just we would sell out Rod Lather Arena. It would not be a problem. It would not be a problem. Between him and I, most of my fans are in Melbourne, my community. Sorry, I said the word fans. I hate that word. Most of my community are in Melbourne. You know, I've what I've sold Palais. I sell it out four or five times. That's twenty thousand. I sold twenty seven thousand tickets in Melbourne. I think last year, so we, easily. And then add his fifty million fans. <sighs> yeah. Wow. Anyway, okay. I know you've got to go. I just have we covered all that we wanted to cover. Is there anything else on the list? I had a big list. I think I think we've covered more than we wanted to cover. Oh, well, just before you go. Yeah. Um, we had an article come out last week oh, on Saturday in The Age. We did, the two of us. The two of us. And if you want to read it, the link's on our Instagram, Emsolation Podcast. Jamila, our great friend, wrote it. Um, well, no, we kind of said it and she's put it in our words. I feel like it looked a bit one-sided and I'm a little bit disappointed at your contribution. <laughs> <laughs> We've both had very different reactions to this. I just hear consistently, M's one was all about M and Michael's one was all about M. <laughs> also, there was one really telling thing. This wasn't Jamila, but they, it did fall into the thing of you get your husband and all your children listed and Adrian doesn't get mentioned, which <gasps> I know would have been a, like the editor put in the thing, but it does have the whiff of heteronormative bullshit because <laughs> I spoke about him quite a bit. You did. Yeah, anyway. Oh, did, did someone say that mine was all about me and yours? Oh, yours, mine was all about you. 
No, 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 but you get, yeah, no, to a certain extent, but you get like the stages of your life sketched in. But they asked me those questions. Yeah, no, I, I had plenty of stories. Oh, so now what does it look like I'm selfish? God, it's the undertones. <laughs> no, I just want to say overall it was wonderful and the response has been amazing. And the weirdest thing is how much of it, how many of our parents' colleagues have no. read it because our parents work together and they worked at this hospital and all of them have a subscription to The Age. So my mum, <laughs> let's just say if you wanted to bring Joe Lucas yesterday, you're in a bit of trouble because <laughs> phone was off the hook all weekend with her fielding calls and all of them. Yeah. Want to purchase the busy working mum T-shirt? I know, got to get those back on sale. Oh, now I'm going to obsess over you thinking that the whole thing was about me. No, not me. That's just what other people have said. But that's not. <laughs> I didn't think of it at all. I did genuinely speak about you for about two hours. No, and I genuinely spoke about you. It's all edited down. She did a great job editing it down. But I, but I know what you're about to say. That I didn't say heartfelt. Um, there was, this I is have, what she means to me. But exactly. I did. I really did. So I did. maybe I told, say I told now. a long, long story. Oh, maybe tell everyone now what I mean to you. No, I, always, I said that M it often in our friendship has the absolute gift of knowing exactly what I need to hear at a particular time, even if it's not the truth or, <laughs> <laughs> or even if it would really shock you. And I, would, I spoke specifically, specifically. I gave two examples. Are you ready? Yeah. The first example that I gave was when I was coming out and I was like – deciding, oh, maybe I should go back to being with girls. And, and you would think that M would just sh- shut me up and put on Diana Ross <laughs> and not accept it. But she didn't at all. She was completely zen and, and, and was sort of saying, well, if you feel that way, sure, really relaxed, not judgmental at all. Privately, of course, probably thinking, <laughs> you fucking kidding me? But you did not express that. And then the other thing that I said, there was, a, there was one moment where I had, I'm just going to say a bit of a career low point. I'd just come off all of the success of Offspring and I made another six part series with Asha party tricks. And then it came on at the end of the year in the tailwind of Offspring where everyone just wanted more Offspring and then it, and it didn't rate. And it was at the time I just took it really badly. I like, pretty much took to my bed yeah. briefly. I recovered obviously, yeah. but M wrote a really beautiful card and it just said, I'm sorry they weren't ready for it yet, which was such a generous – and it's what I needed to hear in the moment. Not Again, probably not true. No, the show probably I just w- didn't tick uh, the uh, box. No, I want to interject. Party Tricks is the show he's talking about and it's fucking brilliant. It's the best thing you've made by a mile. I like it better <laughs> than Offspring and I think – Go to Template, check it out. It is on Template. Go and check it out. It's especially – it's it's political. It's it's the most you – I loved it so much. I'm in it singing John Farnham. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, episode three. <laughs> It's true. I forgot that. I forgot that's the headline item for this Thank for this you. podcast. Yes. But unfortunately, you're singing it to, because you're uh, supporting a liberal, yeah, mm. a liberal mm. launch. But Roger Corsa, Em and Roger Corsa. Yes, and they made me black out my tattoos. They made me um, put makeup on them because I was a Liberal Party function, and they didn't think they'd hire a singer full of tattoos. So I had to do that. <laughs> It was critically acclaimed. You forgot that part. It was critically acclaimed. The public just didn't get it. Oh, and then weirdly has ended up on Amazon in the States and Acorn in the UK. So over the pandemic, there's been a weird amount of like (laughs) tweets sent to me. And also the other really, really odd thing is Asha played like a Hillary style establishment politician. And then Roger played a TV star who became (laughs) a a politician. But this was like two years before Trump. And now when people watch it in the US and the UK, they assume we're riffing on Hillary and Trump, but we won't at all. No, for 
foreshadowing like The Simpsons. Go mm. and watch Party Tricks on Temple. I'm sorry, Adrian wasn't mentioned. That's that's not Jimmy Miller. That's sub editors. No, like, no, no, no. I know because the sub editors put in the stuff about your children. It's yeah, like, and, it was and a great the headline article. too, and a great picture. Yeah, good picture of us. So thank you to Jimmy Miller Risby for um, putting our friendship in the column of the paper for the ages. At the, at the very least, our parents will be proud of something we've done oh. finally. <laughs> Mate, you came out first line, said we were raised by two strong feminist mothers. We, we've got a decade of credit for that. It's unbelievable. All right. Fuck, I'm so sweaty. Like It's like Melbourne's underwater at the moment. Mate, it's still soup. hot, oh. but it's so wet. I can't – normally I can see the city from the window yeah, I'm looking nah. at and there's absolutely no way. It's humidity's at 200% and for this sweaty, anxious person, I can't leave the house. Even in my house, I'm sitting under the air – I'm fitzing from my pits, from under my tits, from under my ass. It is like soup. It's the worst. But I've got very nice dewy skin and curly hair, so there is a trade-off. <laughs> All right, you go. I just want to say on the record, I'm sorry people felt like my part was about me and your part was about me. No, it, but people, yes, I did hear that a little bit. Hand on heart. We, we spoke for like an hour and a half. It all gets, it all gets edited down. And, it, it is, and also you're the famous person. Is the general consensus among your people and your side that I don't know that, like, that our friendship is one-sided? Because no, it's not. That's not what they were saying at all. Our friendship is not one-sided. I want it known. No, it's not. It's very it's even. I'm always painted as the villain. You're not. I just want to sing John Farnham. Like, honestly. <laughs> All right. I'll talk to you later. Yeah. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye. This is Emsolation. Phew. Do you need a shower? I know. I know. I don't even know if I'll be able to listen to this one. But that would have just, honestly, that we almost both forgot we were recording. That's what a phone call is between us, which is why we decided to do the podcast. We're like, do you think other people would want to hear what we talk about? He's like, no. And I said, let's do it anyway. <laughs> and you should definitely go and check out Party Tricks on 10 Play, 100%. It's my favourite thing he's done. And for realsies, if anyone knows John Farnham or his people, you know, or, you know, even if you're just head of his fan club, <laughs> first of all, that should be me. I'd really love to make that happen. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to us. Thank you for voting us fourth in the Australian Podcast Awards People's Choice. We got fourth. Very honoured. It was a distinguished list. I know over 45,000 votes were cast. But in the end of the day, I realised, and I was listening to Will Anderson talk about it, the awards don't matter because, I mean, they're nice, but it's a weird thing to compare podcasts because they're so personal and you guys pick out of this kind of niche interest and it's it's kind of comparing apples and oranges with with the awards. Yeah, I I don't think I'm going to place quite as much importance as I, I think I was now. I'm pretty zen about them, actually. Come full circle. Thank you, Will Anderson, as usual. All right, guys, have a lovely day. We'll talk to you later in the week. Bye.